Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Now more than ever, startup fashion labels are in need of a guiding hand when it comes to best practices for the new normal corona economy the world is entering. That is why it made perfect sense to speak with one of the industry's leading experts in the field, Alison Lowell. For close to two decades, Alison has traveled the world consulting emerging fashion labels about how to make it in an industry saturated with competition, most of it with bigger budgets, wider reach, and international awareness. Her calm, plain-talking guidance and overall positive attitude has helped countless labels carve out practical and sensible approaches to running a business, one that is able to find that sweet spot balanced between creativity and commerce. Allison isn't afraid to roll up her sleeves and do the heavy lifting if it means helping someone fulfill their lifelong goal of becoming a designer and running their own business. It's something that she can relate to on a personal level as well, seeing as she currently owns and runs not one but two fashion support agencies she started from scratch. Her commitment to lifting up budding fashion labels earned Allison a meeting with Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth, who awarded her an MBE for service to the fashion industry in 2017. After years of public speaking, lecturing at fashion universities, and consulting clients, Allison finally decided to publish a book last year that pulls together all of her institutional knowledge in one handy tome. Aptly titled How to Start Your Own Fashion Label, the book is a step-by-step guide for those wanting to follow their fashion dreams. Already a bestseller, the book has quickly become a bible for designers wanting to wade into the volatile world of fashion while holding on to a level-headed lifeline. Just on a technical side note, I did want to let all of you listeners know that Allison and I did our interview over Zoom video, so don't be surprised by a couple of very minor audio issues. And if you happen to be more of a visual learner, feel free to head over to my signature YouTube channel to watch the video version of this podcast in action. Now, let's listen to Allison's advice for young brands trying to break into the business in 2020. I think you'll be encouraged by her vision. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. I think that this is the perfect time for us to have a sit down and talk about your career and your role as a fashion advisor to young brands who are starting out in the fashion industry because of what's going on in the world. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm thrilled to do it. So um, I do want to talk about how you got to where you are now in your career, but I want to jump right in with that burning question that most people are probably wondering as they're clicking into this podcast. It's what advice are you giving to designers now who want to start their fashion label? I mean, this is a really difficult time. and I mean, even maybe possibly worse than 2008, but what are you telling people? Um, I'm, I'm actually still advising people to go ahead if it is their dream. But just take this time to really reflect on the business model they're going to use. Hmm. Um, Everything that's happening at the moment is stuff that I have been talking about for a long time. Lots of things that were broken in the fashion industry. Lots of things that we all knew had to change. And this has just brought everything to a head. So I think for any new designers out there thinking of starting a business, have just started, Hmm. I'm saying still go ahead. 
it doesn't mean that there isn't a market for you, but just make sure you are not looking back at the past and doing things in the old way and you're looking at the new normal, whatever that's going to be. So very forward looking. What, um, well then let's go back to the beginning. Uh, I'm gonna circle back around to ask more questions about that, but I wanna know what makes you such an expert? How are you advising all of these young brands? How did you get to this point in your career where you're helping these young designers find their footing in the, in the fashion world in this new landscape? How did this all come about? Okay, so uh, my background is I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've owned seven of my own businesses, um, all bootstrapped businesses, so no investment behind them, started them myself. Broad spectrum of industries, um, nothing initially because I had a passion about a subject. I'm actually passionate about being an entrepreneur, about finding an opportunity and filling it, finding the solution and going for it. And I, I think that was something that was inherent in me, even as a child, that I could always, I was never a, oh, this is a problem or this. I was always finding solutions, even if it was just reasons to get out of school. <laughs> My school still say that I had the best excuses in the world and they could never, they never knew when I was telling the truth and when I wasn't because I would fabricate such amazing reasons for not being at school. So I think there is that inner entrepreneur in me. So having run lots of my own businesses, I naturally fell into consultancy work. And one of the things of being a consultant that I realized very early on is creative businesses are very different. Mm. The creative person behind them often comes with a completely different agenda, mindset, skill set. And often these creatives need a lot more help but a lot of different help. And so it started off that I started doing some work with some creatives and, and that was across the spectrum from artists to architects to designers of all sorts. I realized that it's actually something quite standard across all of them. And then because I was doing lots of work in that field, somebody I knew asked me, would I go and help somebody at Fashion Week who was struggling with his business and wasn't quite sure what he was doing, went along and had an initial chat with him. He was running a platform at the time during London Fashion Week, um, hosting a great big exhibition with all different designers in it, lots of young designers showcasing. And he invited me to go along and have a look at what it was all about so I could give him some advice. And I'll be perfectly honest. The first day I thought was amazing because who doesn't want to be at Fashion Week? And I was sitting front row and I was getting goodie bags and I was having an amazing time. Um, went back for day two because I'd had such good fun and thought about halfway through day two, hold on, I don't understand what's going on here. Hmm. I thought, I don't really understand where the business is happening. I heard lots of random things from designers saying, well, we only showcase in London and then we go to Paris to do it all again for sales. And I don't know any other sector in the world that exhibits once to go and exhibit somewhere else for a second time a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. So I kept hearing lots of things that absolutely intrigued me and decided to just investigate a bit further. And through that, started working with lots of young designers, set up my own agency. Um, so Felicity's has now been going for 17 years, specializing in working with emerging brands. Why do you want to work with emerging brands? What was, what was that draw for you to work with these younger designers? Because between you and me and everyone who's listening, that's not where the money is. So what made you want to be with younger designers? Now I know that. <laughs> 
Um, no, I, I think this particular business was more of a passion project for me because I, it was the younger designers that needed the help the most. Um, they were being taken advantage of by big agencies, so whether it was big PR agencies or sales agencies, going into it not knowing what they should be asking for, what they were doing. And I think to me, the, the, the real passion in anything I do is about supporting the entrepreneurial spirit, that starting up and having the balls to go out there and do it. So I think that was why I specialised in those. Over the years, some of our brands have gone on and become bigger, and I still do consultancy with the owner as an individual of some of the bigger labels. Uh, but the agencies are all actually around the younger, because that's where my passion lies. So talking about the younger designers that you're advising, what are the, the mistakes that you see them doing over and over and over again, maybe even more specifically now in the new context of the, as you said earlier, the new normal? What are those, those missteps? You're just like, why do they keep doing that? Um, I think one of the biggest is just being focused totally on the product and having no idea of the consumer, of the market, of how they're going to actually get it out there. They're so wrapped up in the actual design process and their product that they haven't thought about beyond that. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of that when I actually go and talk to them and say, well, who is your customer for this? And they have no idea whatsoever. So very, very focused on product, just blowing money before they're ready. I think there is still an obsession from brands that come from students who have graduated that they want to do catwalk shows. And I believe that that fault lies actually at universities because everything at your university is about building up towards your graduate show, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping that the current situation will also change because there aren't any graduate shows this year. Um, so I think that's inherent in them that they think their sign of success is doing the catwalk show, mm-hmm. whereas actually in the beginning, they can't afford to do that. So their chance of survival past year three is totally diminished because they blow all their budget on doing the catwalk show before they're ready. So I think that's probably the second biggest. So then they don't, don't focus just on design, don't blow your money on big ticket items like a catwalk show. So where do you want to be spending your money as a young designer then? Everything should be focused on sales and getting some initial sales, proving your business model works, proving your product works, proving you've got a market to it. So again, I'm, uh, I'm going to get on my bandwagon, which I often do, which is about young designers going direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. You test your brand. You see what the consumer thinks about it. You uh, see how it, you know, they feel, is your fit right? Do they like it? Then they will also do your marketing for you. Mm-hmm. So you get that lovely word of mouth spread about your brand if you do it well. And then the wholesale market, catwalk shows, doing trade fairs can all come later once you've got a proven market for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas traditionally brands have done the other way. Make a few samples, take it straight off to a trade fair, spend a lot of money on it and then try and get wholesale. But the wholesalers are also, the stores are going to be looking for brands that have a proven customer base. So even if the brands do want to wholesale eventually, direct-to-consumer is what they're going to need to do to prove that there is a market for their brand. So that's my biggest advice to all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, that makes sense because if you're doing direct-to-consumer, then, then as you're in control of all of the data that's coming in about 
um, what's working, what's not working, as opposed to going through a wholesaler where you might not actually, or you get filtered data about how your brand is doing, whatever the story that they want to tell you. Whereas if you're, you're doing that direct D to C, then you have all that information and the data at your fingertips, which makes a huge difference, I would imagine. Oh, exactly. I mean, that, that's, un, you know, you can't build a brand without that word of mouth from your consumer. What do they like? What don't they like? And actually, when we've had brands that have changed from wholesale to direct consumer, because the market has been so bad. They actually really enjoy their brands a lot more as well because their consumers are giving them that feedback and it actually inspires their design and they actually push the boundaries probably a bit more than they would have done because they're getting that really great feedback. The other really good bonus for that is if you're a startup brand, particularly in the really tough financial market that we're in now, is you can manage your finances doing things that way. And this isn't a new model. This is actually how lots of brands historically grew. Um, you make three pieces and you sell three pieces. And that money you release and you put it back into your business. And then you make five pieces and then you make 10 pieces. So we're also going around the fact of that changes your financial stability in your business because you're not trying to push a whole collection out in one go, paying big money on a trade fair then sitting for months hoping some of that money is going to come back in. Um, so you get that. And you also get the sustainability angle in that you have no overproduction. Mm -hmm. You're producing around the need. You make three, you sell three, you make more. And if something doesn't work, then you only have three pieces that didn't work, wow. not 300 or 3,000 or however many other scary numbers that people have. Yeah. So the whole model actually makes much sense for sustainability, for overproduction, for finance, and for building a customer base from it. I've been really interested in reading recently, you know, um, some uh, teachers at some universities are talking about how, you know, talking about sustainability, this idea of creating pieces all digitally so that there aren't any products, even a digital virtual showroom. So the whole process is, virtual almost up into the point of ordering the product what do you think about i mean i feel like because of you know doing interviews like this one on zoom that people are now have really embraced the world of digital and tech but i don't know how much designers are as comfortable with the pattern making of the digital side as they are with the, the more manual you know old-fashioned way of designing so i'm wondering what you think about this kind of virtual way of designing a fashion collection i mean i, can, I think there is again huge potential in it and i think in the future, we will have more students to come out with digital skills because they have learned in a very different way. I don't know how ready the consumer is for that. Okay. So again, it's all right doing digital showrooms, digital shows, but how much will the consumer trust it? Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be, I think the, in some ways the industry has been behind. I think then we're going to leap and they're actually going to be in front and the consumer is going to be a bit behind because they're not going to be quite sure how to deal. We already know for young brands to sell just online and use just digital platforms to promote your brand, to showcase your collection doesn't work hmm. because the consumer doesn't trust people that they don't know. Okay, so, so how do you get people to know you? Get in front of them. Hands in front. So I, I think digital online, it will be interesting. I think, I think it's Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger are both using those models. Mm -hmm. And I think initially they're going to be really groundbreaking in that because their consumer will trust them because they're well-established brands. And if they've only seen the digital version, it doesn't matter, they'll still hit the button for it. Mm -hmm. I think for a younger brand who's trying to sell, that's probably not going to work. 
So with a lot of my young consumers, as much as they, the digital is really important because that's the foundations. You need a good website that's transactional. You need really great social media, but you've also got to go out and get in front of your first customers, get them to touch your product, feel your product, like your product, put it on, wear it, and then they will start the word of mouth that will bring in other customers. So are you, you have are you talking about like working with influencers or are you talking about, you know, just getting it on your friends? What, when you say getting in front of your customers, what do you mean exactly? Because I'm a young designer, I'm coming out of a, you know, a school, maybe not as well known, I don't have contacts. How do I get my clothing on, on the right people, I guess? Friends and family, they're brilliant first starting point. You know, we call those nano influencers. They are your first influence. They are going to talk about your product to their friends. So it's bringing them in and saying, I need you to promote because you have other friends and family that I'm not connected to. So you start at that ground level and you, you build it out. It could be that you go to where your customer would be. So I have lots of my young brands before lockdown. Obviously that's affected it, but when lockdown's out, they'll be back out there. Um, but they are taking their, you know, a small few pieces of their collection out and they're doing a little pop-up trunk show in an office block. So we have in London loads of shared offices, people like WeWork. So they'll go into the coffee area where we work and say to people, come and give me your feedback about my collection. What do you like? Do you want to try it on? Tell me what you think about it. Gyms, private members clubs, hotels, bars, restaurants, mm-hmm. anywhere where you think your customer is, that's where you go instead of always asking your customer to come to you. Okay, that's really smart. And I love how you talked about asking them for their feedback and advice because nobody loves anything more than giving advice, you know, like feeling important (laughs) and giving advice. Speaking of which, I wanted to know what made you, you um, launched your own book with all kinds of advice. So how to start your own fashion label. What made you decide, okay, I've got to put this all in a book and tell me how you framed the book. How did you want, what kind of message you wanted to get through with the book? Okay. So actually the book was something that lots of people asked for for a long time. And I, I put off doing as my publisher knows, um, (laughs) two, two years past the deadline. What it was is I go out and I lecture all over the world now and I give talks all over the world. And the one thing I started to realize is it doesn't matter where you're setting up your brand. The issues are exactly the same, whether it's Kazakhstan, New York, London, Paris, everyone has the same problem. So first of all, I created a platform called startyourownfashionlabel.com. Mm-hmm. to put some basic resources on. So when people always ask us the same thing, like, how do you write an email to a store buyer? What should my business plan look like? Do I start doing PR when I've got no money? Um, so we started writing some guides on there, and that sort of spurred me on then to actually put it all into a book. And the book is literally a step-by-step guide to someone setting up their own label. Hmm. So they can go from start to finish, and it will take them the whole process, or they can dip in and out as and when they need to look at that particular area of their business. So, you know, they may go away and they do an area of it and they think, okay, so, you know, that didn't work. So what else can I try? And then can come back to the book. And it's amazing because actually over the shutdown, I've had quite a few posts of people posting me pictures where they had actually been out and they were running their businesses, um, a couple of brands doing fashion weeks. And then they've said it's, they've actually had to come back and redo their model. And they've all gone back to the book and picked out different chapters like, actually, let me review my business plan and see where I'm going. Um, let me look at going direct to consumer instead of wholesale. So they've gone back into the book and looked at those chapters instead. So hopefully it's in very basic English. 
no convoluted language, no case studies, because that always seems to be the death wish on a book. It's just, if, you go, if you're in a case study, your business usually goes out of business very quickly. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> true. Um, so it is just literally very practical, hands-on, this is what you can do, this is where you can go to to advise. So really a hand-holding process through the whole point of starting your business. And it's for people who are either a designer, mm-hmm. who perhaps doesn't know the design side, or actually we have a lot of people who use it who perhaps aren't in design but have always wanted aren't designers but have always wanted to start their own label so they may actually employ a designer but then they want to know how and what should they be looking for when they're looking for a designer so it can be used from either side okay that's really interesting um i wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what you think are going to be the big shakeouts um once everybody is out of lockdown around the world and and things will be in this new normal or you know the uh, uh do you think um sustainability is still going to be important i mean do you think that uh authenticity is going to be even more important because i feel like people are going to be buying a lot less they're going to be buying really their necessities so what how are they? How are brands going to be able to draw them in and and make them go ahead and make those purchases, you know, from the labels? Okay, so well, um, I, th- I think we're going to go through a transition stage. So I think there's going to be a little bit when we come out of lockdown, which is what I call crazy season, mm-hmm. because we're going to have stores that are full of stock that they're going to discount heavily. So everybody's going to go mad buying stuff cheap just because it's there. They haven't been shopping and then they've gone cheap. So I think there'll be that part of the industry that is going on. But I think the other side, yes. And I talk to my clients and the people I mentor about the three key words that I think will come out of this, which is protection, connection, and engagement. Consumers are going to be looking for protection, which is brands that have protected their staff and their customers during this time. So against all those brands who, you know, forced their workers to still work, kept their warehouses open, uh, haven't done anything to look at protecting their consumers in the shopping process. Also protection about the planet, mm-hmm. you know, this overwhelming. So I think protection is brands with purpose coming out of this. The social responsibility. Social responsibility, sustainability issues, transparency in everything you're doing. So not just going unsustainable and the consumer having to dig away to try and find out what it is and, oh, you used one organic cotton this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, So protection, the connection is, again, brands that stick with them that have the same interests and connection with them that they are. So again, that can come down to sustainability. It could come down to transparency. Brands that, again, show they care and that they are talking to their consumers in a transparent way. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't do everything totally transparent, even if you have to say, hands up, we don't know where this fabric came from, mm-hmm. but we're doing this to try and work it out from the future. So I think transparency. Okay. So consumers are going to look to connect with brands much more. They're going to want to be part of a community. And I think community is going to be a big thing out of this. And the third one is engagement. Mm-hmm. And engagement is definitely come out of the crisis. And this is what is the brand giving the consumer back to engage with them? So engagement on social media, having conversation, or the rise of the TikTok <laughs> <laughs> revelation, which is engagement in, oh, we know all the people are doing the silly dancers and number three, four, three, two, I can't do any of them. I keep practicing on my own, can't do them. <laughs> 
TikTok has broadened over this lockdown because as families have been locked down, more grown-ups, adults, grandparents are getting involved in it. So I think that taking part in something is really important. But I also think the really clever brands who have done great engagement, uh, Christopher Rayburn, who's just released his second pattern, which I have actually on my printer as we speak, where he showed people how with one of his patterns, you can go and find off cuts of fabric and make your own piece. So he's just launched and he did a whale and he's now done a panda. So you can make your own panda to show how you can upcycle fabrics. Uh, people like um, Emma J. Shipley, who has given you one of her drawings to download and colour in because it's about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiko Nishiyama, a brand from uh, Japan, also done an amazing colouring because people need something to meditate and be calm in these um, unusual times. So brands that are engaging with their customers, so instead of just asking their customer to come and buy from them, are looking at what they're giving back. What are they giving to their consumer? How are they engaging with them? So I think with all the different headings of the things that are coming out, I think those three words are going to be the key words for any brand growing in the future. Protection, connection, engagement. If you get those right, you've got a successful brand coming out of this. Okay. What about the ask? I think you're right on all, on all of those points. What about the aspect of storytelling in all of this, especially for a younger younger brand? How do you? I, I always talk to designers after shows, and oftentimes when they're young designers, they they don't even know how to speak to a journalist. They don't they don't have their you know they don't give good quote. Let's say, do you? Can you talk a little bit about the importance of storytelling? Is it more important? Is it, has it changed or evolved with these times? I think it's really important. To me, that's the connection bit is the brand storytelling. Okay. Is you have to, as a brand now, tell a story and it has to be a unique story to you. Mm-hmm. So again, I think it's around this transparency, authenticity, genuineness. So we're talking to our brands much more about coming out from behind their brand. Mm-hmm. And actually talking, and I know that's scary to lots of them of going in front of the camera, um, but actually showing people what they do, how they care about their product, why they love it, what is their story that makes their product unique? Because so many of them don't. Again, they're just focused on the product. It's there's the product, there's the product. Mm -hmm. And to the consumer, the consumer doesn't understand. They don't understand sometimes, well, why would I pay £10 from Primark? And a thousand pounds from this brand. I don't understand why is the difference and why is that brand not making it at 10 pounds too? So your brand storytelling is also part of your education process of really talking about what is your brand doing? How do they do it differently? And creating your own story. And again, there are some amazing brands out there that have phenomenal storytelling. Do you think that, I mean, there there are designers, there are... Uh, people who run companies who really don't want to be put out in front like they don't want to show themselves they don't want to be real but I feel like that that BTS behind the scenes stuff is really what people are craving like you said authenticity yeah yeah I mean I have I have one of my designers at the moment she absolutely hates it she won't go face to camera Mm. so we said that's okay put the camera behind you and show you working because she does hand beading and it takes hours And we've said, if you're just showing people the detail of what you are doing, the fine work, show your hands in it if you can't show your face, but show that behind the scenes. 
people are going, that's how they'll connect with you, mm-hmm. if they understand what you're making. And the problem is with these days, with, with so much greenwashing going on, with brands saying they're doing all these things and there's no authenticity, if you're not showing that, then your consumer is going to think that your stuff is mass-produced in China in big factories, or India or Cambodia or wherever. So you have to tell that if that's not your story. So it's so important. You just have to find your unique way of telling the story. Um, So authenticity in it, transparency in what you get are and what you're not doing. Um, And I think, again, that's been amazing with some of the brands really showing authentically what they've been doing down this you know, lockdown phrase, the amazing fashion brands who've been doing, making scrubs and face masks and, you know, some amazing things. And, you know, we've had to shout at quite a few of them and say, tell people you're doing that. Hmm. No, don't, don't, what is it? Hide your light under a bushel or whatever that old fashion phrase is. (laughs) (laughs) Tell people because it makes your story unique. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So at this point in in the the world landscape, what would be your number one piece of advice for, well, two things. What would be your number one piece of advice and what would be your number one do not do this no matter what? Okay, well, the the things I'm saying at the front of the moment, the thing you should do is connect. So connect with your consumer, talk to your consumer, do your brand storytelling, be empathetic for the situation that people are in. Don't sell at them. So it's two sides of the same thing. Mm. I think the consumer is very fed up of these brands that are just going, oh, but today you can buy a shirt for $9.99 and today you can do this with actually no social conscience of or understanding of what the consumer at home is going through. Deaths in families, scared about you know whether they've got jobs at the end of this, lack of income coming in. You have to have empathy. So don't sell at them, mm-hmm. connect with them, empathize. And I think that will be ongoing for at least the rest of this year. Mm-hmm. No, I think I, that's true. What, what do we talk, they say that if you have a... Um... If you have a client, it's, it's less expensive to uh, maintain a client that you already have than it is to get a new one. So even if you're not pitching them to buy now, if you can build those relationships, they're going to remember that you're the one that didn't ask them to buy something, but just reached out to check in or offered, you know, like you said, a free pattern to make a panda or something like that. I mean, those will ring bells later when they maybe do have some um, disposable income. And they're going to be talking about you. Mm. So they're going to be talking about those brands. Like I've just said about Christopher Rayburn. I can't tell you how many people I've told about Christopher Rayburn and how amazing it is. And Emma with her colouring and Kiko with her colouring in. Mm-hmm. You know, you do tend to tell people when you hear those really beautiful, positive things. Mm-hmm. So again, it's people doing your marketing for you. If you're empathetic and go out. What was really interesting is, um, is you know, some of the luxury brands, and I'm talking high, high end of bespoke pieces, that you know start at eight to ten thousand pounds and you know there's nothing those brands can do because their customer has to come to them and have an appointment to actually have those bespoke pieces made yet we've told them to still engage and connect and send out a newsletter but tell people what they're doing in their studio give them something to do so we did things like looking after pot plants or building your own in-house terrarium or some great fashion films on netflix or whatever it was so sharing things to do and one of our couture brands after they sent their first newsletter. And one of the things they said is they were showing them sketching in the studio saying, you know, we're not battening down the hatches, but was now's a brilliant time and we've been coming up with lots of ideas. And they'd done some sketches and three of their clients emailed them back and said, can I pay a deposit to have a, an appointment as soon as we come out of lockdown to buy that piece? Oh, wow. That you've just sketched. 
Oh wow, that's amazing. They, if you just stop selling, mm -hmm. it's amazing that those people actually are coming forward and going, okay. So again, show the ideas of what you're working on. It's, it's a great time to do storytelling. Okay, fabulous. All right, Alison, it's time for my famous five generic fashion questions. So are you ready? Here we go. My first question is, what is the, your favorite piece of clothing that you own that you cherish above all others? Uh, it is. Why have I not prepared for this again? Um, a beautiful cream coat by Jasper Garveda that uh, he gave me many years ago. It's too fabulous to wear most days, but it's in a case in my closet and I look at it every day. Mm, like piece of art. I get it. Um, all right, next question is, what, as you said, not everybody has thousands of dollars to spend on clothing, but if there was one piece that uh, a woman or a man should really invest in for you, what is that key investment purchase? Um, I just think a good bag. Yeah. To me, it's always a good bag. A good bag really you know, gives you that status, and it's something that lasts you forever, so you don't have to worry about it being a trend piece, a good bag. Man's or woman's will last you a lifetime and keep you going. Um, I have my Chanel bag and you know, it doesn't matter, you can just get it out. Huge investment, huge investment piece, but lifetime's worth of use of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, yeah, my Chanel bag opens more doors for me than my hair do, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Oh, I don't ever like this question. Um, so I'm going to go for somebody that obviously I don't work with because I love all my designers. Um, they all go through their own challenges and I hate to pick one more than other and I take one to stand out. Um, but overall of all designers in the world, I would have to say it is Chanel, Coco Chanel. Mm. Place in my heart. Yeah, girl boss. Yeah, yeah. the ultimate. And an amazing woman who also started off making one piece. There you sure. go. Perfect Bread. example. Perfect example. And that's how you build an empire. Exactly. Oh, I almost want to leave it at that note, but I have two more questions for you. So um, what trend will you never follow? Trends. Mm. Really? Just fashion trends. Fashion trends. Um, the one thing I hope that will come out of this situation is fashion trends. This constant changing over for most brands is gone. It shouldn't happen because that's, there is a conflict between trends and sustainability. If you're really heavily following a trend, then you haven't got a sustainable piece. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, yes, there will still be a place for it in fast fashion and quick turnover for younger. But my big hope is that lots of the more luxury brands will actually take this as an opportunity to move away from seasonal trends and move into more timeless seasonal design. Yeah, I agree. Evergreen is, is the future for sure on a lot of different levels. Yeah. All right, last question. What do you love most about fashion? The passion behind it. I just meet the most amazing people, whether they're designers, whether they're supporters of the industry. It's an amazing industry where you do get to meet so many passionate people. Um, I never found that in other sectors, even in the other creative sectors that I worked in. You know, working in the arts or with architects or designers, I worked in the car trade a lot. There wasn't that sense of community that there is in the fashion industry. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, you know people, you connect with people, you introduce other people. Um, and I absolutely love that. So I have to say it is the passion behind the people that are working in it who really drive it forward. Well. Fantastic. Alison, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. It's always a pleasure talking with you. So insightful. Thank you so much.
Oh, thank you so much for asking me. It was such a pleasure. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.